Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, earlier this month, the film Sound of Freedom was released to high praise among uh, evangelicals. And the movie was produced by Angel Studios, which is a faith-based studio. Um, they're perhaps best known for The Chosen, which is a series about the life and ministry of Jesus. And uh, Sound of Freedom, it follows the real-life story of Tim Ballard, who was a former federal agent who quit his job to lead operations to free children from child sex trafficking rings in South America. And Ballard is the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, or O-U-R, and he founded that organization in 2013. And basically, they run these kind of like paramilitary sting operations to shut down sex trafficking rings and get children out of there. Um, and so Ballard, he was portrayed by Jim Caviezel, who, if you don't know who he is, he is Jesus from Passion of the Christ. <laughs> and so on the face of it, it would seem like this type of movie is something that everybody could get behind. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, I mean, after all, what could be less controversial than celebrating the work of people seeking to end global sex child trafficking? Right. Like, well, we're, we're for that. We're for ending that. Well, that's a question for some people, apparently, uh, because for all the praise the movie is getting, it is also the subject of some pretty sharp criticism. And so those who are criticizing the film are arguing that its depiction of uh, these uh, quote unquote real life events uh, is not quite accurate or it misrepresents how trafficking works or how anti-trafficking work is done. And some people have even accused it of uh, kind of lending credence to QAnon conspiracy theories. And so in reply, uh, the makers of the film and the film's fans, they have suggested that the liberal media members are uh, criticizing them uh, because they have uh, a stake in sex trafficking and are probably themselves pedophiles. The most obvious answer. Yes, yes obviously. Uh, they, <laughs> they're accused of promoting QAnon conspiracy theories. And in response, they cite QAnon conspiracy theories. Yes. So the only reason that. you are um, being critical of me is because clearly this is like beneficial to you. Right. So that's what I wanted to talk about today because what a mess. My goodness. So obviously we are anti-sex trafficking. Yes. I just want to go on yes. record <laughs> if you, you did not know our public position on that. Uh, and it's honestly like one of the greatest injustices in our modern world, both in the United States and abroad. And so we have a vested interest in uh, promoting good information on how to support the effort to fight that. Uh, we're also concerned with QAnon conspiracy theories because they're absolutely bonkers crazy and damaging. But is that what's happening with the sound of freedom? Uh, I'm not sure we have the answer, but we have compiled a lot of resources together that we wanted to present to you to kind of wade into the mess and hopefully um, kind of get a clearer picture of how we can be supportive in the effort to fight uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking, and child sex trafficking. So that's what I want to talk about today, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. 
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So Sound of Freedom is one of the most financially successful faith-based films in recent times. I think they've made over $100 million on this movie. Wow. And there's there's quite a buzz about it. Uh, but some people are calling into question whether the events it portrays are as accurate as the film claims they are. So there have been a number of critical reviews that we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, at least two of them were from Rolling Stone. And in one of them, which was written by a guy named Miles Klee, uh, he dubbed the film a superhero movie for dads with brainworms. And so he goes on in this review to point out uh, what he sees as the implausibility of some of the events that are depicted in the film and you know, kind of tries to pick it to pieces. And then in the end, here's what Klee writes in his review. He says, quote, There is visible suffering all around us in America. There are poor and unhoused and people brutalized and killed by police. There are mass shootings, lack of health care, climate disasters. And yet, over and over, the far right turns to these sordid fantasies about godless monsters hurting children. Now, as in the 1980s satanic panic, they won't even face the fact that most kids who suffer sexual abuse are harmed not by shadowy cabals of strangers, but at the hands of a family member. To know thousands of adults will absorb Sound of Freedom, this vigilante fever dream, and come away thinking themselves better informed on the hidden civilizational crisis, well, that's profoundly depressing. Worse still, they will want to spread the word. And so Klee, he seems like he's trying to downplay the prevalence of child sex trafficking, uh, which doesn't exactly comport with the data. Uh, The U.S. State Department reports that anywhere between 600,000 and 800,000 people are trafficked uh, across international borders every year, and that about 50% of those cases are children. And that's not some right-wing source. Like, that's the U.S. government providing statistics on that. And so Klee kind of doesn't know those stats or overlooks them or willfully ignores them. I don't know. Uh, But there was another... Uh, review in Rolling Stone uh, written by E.J. Dixon and Dixon uh, acknowledged those stats but uh, went on to argue that the film's portrayal of sex trafficking isn't exactly how sex trafficking works. And so Dixon writes, contrary to the urban legends about kids getting abducted in Target parking lots by strangers or anonymous figures snatching children out of alleyways, the majority of child trafficking victims know and trust their traffickers. And so Dixon points out that most kids who get trafficked, uh, it's not some stranger that that comes to get them. Uh, And Dixon also points out that um, many kids who are trafficked trafficked were in abusive homes kicked out of their homes and they somehow end up in a situation where uh, somebody they trust begins to traffic them and so in quoting a sex trafficking expert uh, Dixon writes in a lot of these cases the trafficker starts out calling themselves the victim's boyfriend or girlfriend 
which is kind of a different picture than you get in Sound of Freedom, where it's like this random kidnapping take you to South America and start trafficking you. Right, where it's just um, a kid that's well-loved and has a great family system and support system. All of a sudden, they're just snatched up by a stranger and that family never sees them again. That doesn't uh, that narrative doesn't fit the actual cases that, well, the majority of the cases. Maybe there's a few of those types of scenarios, but for the most part, that's not the way it works. Right, yeah. It, it tends to be a lot more complicated than that. And then I found a review, not a review, but an article in Christianity Today that spoke to a number of trafficking experts you know, about uh, Sound of Freedom. And this article was written by Emily Bells, and I'll read some of that. Uh, Quote, we're not taking down doors. We're not uh, taking people over the shoulder, Jeff Shaw told CT. Shaw is the chief program officer for Frontline Response, a Christian anti-trafficking organization based in Atlanta that has operations in Georgia and Ohio. Shaw was, quote, blown away by the movie and is recommending it to people, but with some caveats, end quote. And really the main caveat that he gave was that uh, many of the people that uh, you try to rescue from trafficking situations, they don't actually tend to want to go with you because they've been so thoroughly uh, groomed. They don't know who to trust. And so there's a lot of like deprogramming that needs to go on in that. Like you're not just swooping in and taking people and they're going with you. They almost feel like they're being kidnapped again when you save them. And so he said that that's, that's kind of a main caveat. But the article continues, uh, quote, rescue operations do happen, experts told CT, but they are often a small part of anti-trafficking work. Anti-trafficking ministries in the U.S. do the less dramatic work of offering hot meals during street outreaches, having safe houses available uh, that have long-term rehab and recovery, educating and supporting children at risk of exploitation, training employers to recognize trafficking, and collaborating with law enforcement. Sometimes ministries' work looks like poverty fighting, addiction recovery, or relationship building, end quote. So the implication here is that, yes, sex trafficking is real. It is a present problem. It's a huge problem. Problem, but we didn't necessarily get a clear picture of, of how to stop it in Sound of Freedom. And so some people who work in uh, you know anti-trafficking work, they're celebrating the fact that the, the movie is raising awareness to the problem of sex trafficking, but they're a little bit leery about uh, how sex trafficking is represented and then how the solutions to sex trafficking are, are also represented uh, in that film. Uh, that maybe aren't as characteristic of the situation uh, as you know you would think. And so, Tamara, what do you make of all of this just off the bat? Do you think uh, the critiques against the film are politically motivated um, because you know it's made by conservative people and you know Jesus is in it, so like that's why people don't like it? Or is this kind of like a fair critique uh, of the film? Um. I guess it depends on which critique you're thinking of, right? So the one from, I think you said it was Rolling Stones, right? Yeah. That Miles um, Klee, who said it was a superhero movie for dads with brainworms. Um, I definitely think that was not a fair critique. I mean, um, it's a good headline. Like, that was a creative string of words to put together. Yeah. But um, you're right. Yeah, it was not quite fair. But reading it, too, it seems to just downplay the very real issue of human trafficking, which is modern day slavery, right? That's happening across the world. Um, and it's happening in America. It's, 
I think we live close to one of the counties, um, San Bernardino County, that is uh, the number one county for human trafficking in California, at least. So it's a very real issue that's happening. And uh, his critique of this film almost wanted to say, like, sex trafficking isn't a problem at all or human trafficking isn't a problem. Uh, So that's unfair. And I imagine um, maybe a lot of his critique was politically based in like, oh, a bunch of Christian conservatives made this up. So um, there's a few weak spots, but let me just blow it out of the water and say all of it is false and there's no um, actual issue at all that's being addressed. Uh, So I think that's not a fair critique. But the other one, especially um, the CT review of it. That one makes more sense because um, anti-trafficking is not as, I guess, glamorous as this movie might have made it to seem in terms of you go in, um, you have this one-time event, you save a bunch of people that have been trafficked, and then like, great work, hoorah, congratulations, it's done. Now like, let's move on to the next um, raid. That's not that's not how it works. Um, it's often like a longer process because you have people that have been groomed um, in order to trust the person that's trafficking them. Um, and then eventually they're trafficked, right? It's like, it's a bit of a longer process. Even the trafficking itself isn't a one day event. Um, and so to, to assume anti-trafficking is equally a one day event is to completely miss the way that it's all working And a lot of the times it's your people that are in poor communities that have a lack of education, that have a lack of resources, that have a lack of um, family support, friend support, community support. Those are likely the targets. Um, And so, yeah, it's not your like kid that's just playing video games at Target. Do they even have that anymore? I don't think so. (laughs) I guess that just dated me. But But that that, that was for the good old days when you would stand there. (laughs) Putting like Tony Hawk Pro Skater right. while your mom's shopping. <laughs> yeah. That was the good stuff. Yeah. But so I guess my my analogy it isn't accurate anymore. But it's not your kid that's just hanging out somewhere who is, has a loving family, loving parents, you know, is well educated. They're just being snatched up and taken and trafficked. Um, so I, I do think in regards to that critique, that's fair. But... To throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that this movie has no benefit, I think that's probably politically motivated to just say, like, this is a bad movie altogether. Um, Because, again, human trafficking is a very real issue. It's probably one of the largest issues currently within our world, like, in terms of global scale, is human trafficking. And... um, any movie that's going to come about and raise awareness to that and um, make people feel some kind of uncomfortable way that this is happening um, and many people in their own backyards. Right. So in that regard, I think this film is good and is beneficial. Um, but yeah, maybe the way that it's portraying it isn't the best. Yeah, it was interesting when the film came out. I didn't really know anything about it. Actually, how the film was made was interesting because they finished shooting it, I think, in 2018. And then they finished putting it together by like 2019. Uh, But then around that time, so they were going to distribute it through 20th Century Fox. But around that same time, Disney bought 20th Century Fox and then they just shelved it. 
So then the maker of the film uh, negotiated for like a year with the newly minted 20th Century Studios under Disney control and uh, was eventually able to buy the distribution rights back from uh, 20th Century Studios and then began shopping it around. And the thing is like nobody wanted to distribute it. He said he went to Amazon, he went to Netflix, he went to, you know, you know, every distributor that you could think of before he landed on Angel Studios, which is kind of like this. It's a it's a smaller studio. It's a newer studio, um, but it's really coming up, I think, especially with the success of The Chosen. And so the the, the maker of the film, uh, I forget his name, uh, he really has like created this narrative of like the world doesn't want this story to come out when maybe uh, some of the distributors who they were you know, approaching, they saw some yellow flags or red flags in the portrayal uh, of, you know, the events that they're saying are true events or, you know, it's not necessarily representing uh, trafficking or anti-trafficking work in a way that is necessarily all that accurate. And so, but I didn't know any of that once the film came out. And so I was like kind of shocked to hear like, you know, bad reviews coming out of it. Um, I mean, however you feel about Jim Caviezel, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a bit. Um, I'm like, yeah, this seems like not controversial to support a film that is about ending human trafficking. Uh, whether you're conservative, liberal, that seems to be something that we all agree is like a fight right. we should either, be fighting. Yeah, either side should not be like, we're pro-human trafficking. Like, Well, that is very concerning in general. So, right. Yeah. It should be something that all sides agree on. Um, but yet we find ways to not agree on it. Yeah. And so then I read the Rolling Stone article and I was like, well, that's dumb. That's, that doesn't seem fair. Uh, it wasn't until I got to, uh, I think it was the CT article. I was like, okay, wow. I really learned a lot about, um, just the way things go and why it was an issue. And it's a much more nuanced critique of, of the film, uh, right. and the content and the portrayal of it. And people working in um anti-trafficking field i imagine this movie was rather frustrating to them because their whole life work is going into saving people um and pulling them out of trafficking and the opportunity to present a film that sheds light into what is happening and it didn't actually do it um in a way that gave it justice to the process and to the nuances within it imagine somebody who's fighting trafficking was frustrated um, but would take some kind of awareness no matter how it was given. Yeah, what I had read, it kind of seemed like a mixed bag. Like some people were like, we are so thrilled that this movie is raising awareness uh, because we need resources, we need yeah. volunteers, right. uh, we we need that awareness to be raised to this huge problem. It's like, well, we're not going to quibble over the other stuff because yes. we're just glad that you heard of us right. and are now coming to donate or coming to volunteer or coming to uh, seek further education in this. So it was a little bit of a mixed bag from what I could read uh, from people who are actually in the world of uh, anti-trafficking work. Well, and honestly, when it comes to making a movie, would people be entertained with the way that it actually works? You know what I <laughs> it's mean? It's not necessarily no, like a, I mean, you I want mean, an Arnold Schwarzenegger film or do you want like an NPR documentary? Yes. No, truly, because it's such a it's such a long journey um, of fighting against trafficking just to see uh, a few people rescued. Because like you said earlier, 
if you were to go in and have this like sting operation, a lot of the people that are victims to trafficking don't want to come because they're afraid. They don't know who they can trust anymore. Um, is it going to be worse on the other side of wherever they're going? Might as well just stay here where it's familiar. Like there's a whole lot that goes into the thinking and the manipulation behind someone who's been trafficked, whether they are actually going to go with the people that came in. Um, and I think you, the CT article described like it's a lot less glamorous where it's feeding, it's outreaches, it's um, making spaces available for these people to go. And it's unfortunate, but there is some piece of the trafficked life that is familiar that someone might even go back into it just because um, it's far more scary to step out of it. Right. Especially if you're impoverished, you're yeah. uneducated, like where you do don't they have support. Go? Yeah. And there are a lot of programs now that are teaching like skill set. So that way people who come out of trafficking aren't just living on the streets trying to fight for their lives. They actually have a way to to make a life for themselves. And again, that isn't as exciting, I guess. Like teaching people trade work isn't as exciting in a film um, as like a SWAT team, SWAT-like team coming in and like rescuing little children. Right. Yeah. That definitely makes for a better movie. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the um, people who are critiquing the content of the film. Um but then there are other people who are critiquing the people who are involved in the film and the person that the film is about. I want to talk about that a little bit, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. So beyond the content of the movie Sound of Freedom, some people are calling into question uh, both Jim Caviezel, uh, who is Jesus, but who also portrayed Tim Ballard, who is the other person that... Uh, people are calling into question. So for Caviezel's part, uh, he is known to have an association and an affinity for the QAnon community. Uh, he's spoken at QAnon events, and he's been really outspoken about one particular conspiracy theory, which is that cultural elites, quote-unquote, um, particularly Democrats, are part of this coordinated effort to uh, kidnap torture, rape, and kill children so that they can extract the adrenaline from their blood to be used in satanic rituals. So there's that. Uh, that claim, for the record, is obviously baseless. It's kind of the same vein of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, which was this uh, Washington, D.C. pizzeria ended up getting shot up because somebody was trying to liberate children from its non-existent basement uh, because there was this conspiracy theory online that it was the hub of a child sex trafficking ring that was led by the Clintons and other uh, Washington, D.C. elites. Um, that's the kind of stuff that Caviezel is into. And so... When it comes to human trafficking and anti-trafficking uh, work, are we sure that this is the kind of person we want as source of truth on the problem? So that's Caviezel. Uh, as for Ballard, uh, Vice reported in 2020 that Operation Underground Railroad uh, was being investigated under the suspicion uh, that they were misleading the public and their donors – uh, although after two and a half years of investigating, uh, it was dropped, so there's that. But in the case of uh, one individual who was rescued, 
uh, who went by the pseudonym uh, Lillian, Ballard kind of talked about her a lot and described her as someone who had recently been kidnapped in Central America, brought across the border to the United States against her will, and was trafficked. Uh, however, Vice actually found her actual testimony um, – and there were a lot of discrepancies in the story. Like she said that she wasn't kidnapped, but rather she said that she was trafficked by a man uh, who she referred to as the first boyfriend she ever had. So that kind of goes back up to that information that we discussed before the break, that that's the way it, it tends to go. Uh, she also said that Operation Underground Railroad didn't rescue her, but she actually escaped on her own and connected with them after the fact, I guess. Um and uh, also, it wasn't recent. It was like a decade ago. Um, she also claimed that she was 17 at the time that she was trafficked, and Ballard was saying that she was 11. So it, it, it creates this much different story of this 11-year-old who was kidnapped and taken uh, across the border and trafficked and then was saved by um, Operation Underground Railroad, as opposed to a teenage girl who was in a relationship with someone who ended up trafficking her. She came across the the border somewhat willingly, you know, having been groomed for that. And then after having been trafficked, she escaped on her own and then found resources after that. Uh, So that kind of creates two completely different narratives. And so it would seem that Ballard, he was construing a narrative that kind of made his vision for anti-trafficking work uh, look effective, regardless of whether it was or not. And that's kind of been a point in question for Operation Underground Railroad because um, it's been reported that they aren't necessarily transparent with their processes, which is, you know, they say is for security reasons, which, I, you know, that makes sense. That seems like a valid um, explanation for that. Uh, but also around that same time that uh, a few years back when all this was happening and Ballard was kind of rising to prominence, uh, he was rising to prominence uh, particularly among, like, Trump supporters, many of them QAnon, uh, and he also served as a Trump appointee for a while and became really vocal about Trump's southern border wall. And that's part of the reason why Trump liked him so much, because that was a main thing that um, Trump ran on was build the wall, build the wall. And so if Ballard could uh, kind of somehow give uh, expert credence to the fact that uh, sexual predators are streaming across the southern border and a wall would stop that. That kind of seemed politically expedient uh, to have you know, that connection made between those two. And so uh, Ballard's narratives, uh, even though at times the, the, um, the narrative, the veracity of it has seemed flimsy, uh, it has appeared to uh, further a certain political agenda or serve certain political purposes so with all of that information does that change the color of things more than uh just the content in the movie itself or um is that not so much a consideration it seems like we're now living in a time where digging into someone's personal stance on something now colors every extension of what they do so for example uh, the actor who portrayed Jesus and who's portraying Ballard in the movie um, to dig up his own motives behind his personal political views. I feel like even just 10 years ago, no one would have really done that. Like we'd have just said, he's an actor, he's playing this character. Like that's the end of it. You wouldn't really be looking at his own motives into 
um, his personal life. But I think it's a little bit I different the because connection. no, but right. it's a little bit different because he's not just an actor who who did this film. He's been going around in interviews saying like this isn't a movie; it's a movement, and yeah. uh, we are. This movie is part of. Uh, this movement towards ending trafficking and, you know, has been, you know, saying all kinds of things that kind of make him sound like a loon. Like just the other day he was on uh, Fox and Friends and he said, hey, I'm still Jesus, but Trump is the new Moses. He's going to say, oh, let my children yeah. go free. Yeah. If So we got to get him elected so we can build that wall. So it's all kind of meshed well, together. It's not just his personal thing. He's like making he's it part making of the platform. It. Yeah. Right. But. But that also goes into just the turn of culture that we're seeing in general, right? Where in his mind, it's not just a paycheck. It's not just his work. Like it's now his life's work where this is what he's doing and trying to push forward this agenda. Um, So that wasn't necessarily a critique against the movie. It was just like this shift in culture that we're seeing. And I think the conversation around this movie is really showcasing the shift of what's happening, even among people's work, right? Mm-hmm. So all that to be said, um, I think this does change a lot of the way that you can view this movie. Um, and not that its impact is any less important, but that whether you personally want to support this and like recommend it to people, I think it's now changed because you understand there's, uh, discrepancy in the details. There's um, a lot of information that's been given in this movie that wasn't real. Uh, and the reason why details were given in this movie were to present this um, strategy against human trafficking as successful when it's probably not the most successful way. If you like, really probably pulled up the stats about the number of people that are rescued from trafficking, I imagine these type of military raids are not number one in the strategy. But I do believe that um, OUR, this is this is what they do. They don't really have a lot of other methods to combat trafficking. I think they do have some other things as a part of their program. But this is uh, their, but I don't think is, it's as developed as other right. anti-trafficking organizations. Yeah, and this is kind of their bread and butter of like their key strategy. That's what, what made do. him famous, yeah. Yes. Him yeah. standing in a bulletproof jacket yes. with a gun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it changes it. I think it changes the way that you view this movie. I think it changes um, the way that we should even speak of trafficking. Um, I still think it's raised awareness, like regardless of these other elements. Um, and it's a little bit more complicated, right? Like there's some nuggets of goodness within it because it's raised awareness. So, uh, do we completely discard the movie? I mean, I'm probably not going to go recommending for people to see it. Probably going to move them over to different, um, anti-trafficking organizations to find resources and find information on it. Like you're not going to just send them to this movie as a catch-all. Right. Yeah. I think as this conversation has unfolded and I've done more reading and I've learned a lot of things, um, I've just had this real sense of uneasiness about the whole situation uh, because it's one of those things like you you obviously don't want to do anything that could even remotely be construed that you're soft on human trafficking. Right. Obviously. Um, but some of the 
conspiracy theories are just so detrimental to an, a basic understanding of reality uh, that I think it actually harms the awareness that is raised because if you're raising awareness but then centering that awareness on QAnon conspiracy theories, like that's moving us in a, in a bad direction. And I just think it's unfortunate that like such a serious problem is uh, being uh, spoken about and through very unserious people. And I think that's got me feeling some kind of a way. Like, yes, we want to raise awareness, but we also want to funnel that into productive activities and not just uh, raise everybody's anxiety about it. And then we do nothing helpful in terms of systemically approaching the issue. Right. I wouldn't say that this movie has been helpful in actually solving anything. It's just raised awareness. But I'm also thinking of what's the likelihood of someone who is unaware of what's happening within trafficking coming and seeing this movie. Right, yeah. Like, it seems to have now been um, put into a political camp. Like, this movie is now um, advertisement for a political camp in some ways. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Because in promoting the film, Caviezel's right. been like, we got to elect Trump. Yeah. Which is like, that's a weird thing. Which, unfortunately, maybe all the marketing around it has made it so harmful as well. Yeah. Right. I, because if, if the actor would have said nothing, would we be as upset? If he would have just played his part, did no promotions about his own personal like view on things or marketing or any of that, um, would we still be so like uneasy about the film? Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. I mean, if it was someone other than Caviezel playing the part, I mean, that certainly makes a big difference. I mean, there's still the other questions. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he's so QAnon... It just introduces this element of chaos to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And right. it's not necessary because the topic of trafficking is already um, a huge issue in our society and complicated on its own. We don't need to add layers of chaos to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, in on the other hand, uh, we are now sitting here talking about human trafficking. I've been doing research. I was looking at different organizations this week, like just I'm learning about like how human trafficking works and how uh, fighting human trafficking works. I mean, so in that regard, uh, awareness has been raised. And so, yeah, I guess it's just, it's a real mixed bag. It's a, it's a, an uneasy situation. Um, but going back to um, how it is that anti-trafficking uh, work actually works uh, why do you think it is that we are more attracted to, even apart from making a movie, uh, we're far more attracted to the kind of paramilitary aspect of fighting trafficking, like kicking down doors with guns and throwing kids over our shoulders? Why are we far more interested in that as opposed to the actual ef more effective strategies that are you know, just a little bit more complicated and nuanced? Uh, that involve education, fighting poverty and addiction, uh, working to to end government corruption. Like what? Like why are we attracted to one more than the other? And we are uh, there's a gravitational pull towards the one that is the less effective long term strategy. I think there's a number of reasons that we are enamored by the like military presence of coming in and saving someone versus the long term work of education and training and um, dealing with issues of poverty, dealing with 
issues of underserved communities. Uh, so there's probably like a lot wrapped up in the answer to that question. But the first thing that comes to my mind is this, like going in with this military presence as an entire event and you, you walk in and you save, you know, 20, 30 kids at a time. Like that feels um, a little bit m- more successful in in the immediate right so i don't think we're patient enough <laughs> to actually deal with problems in our society is we want to like do this one and done scenario of you come in you walk in with a bunch of guns and your bulletproof vests and uh you know you kill all the bad guys and you save all the children and the job is done where when you talk about the actual effective solutions of educating someone dealing with poverty dealing with uh support systems that are happening within a a child's life that takes a lot of work that takes a lot of resources and it's so long term before you even see success like these one-time events feel successful they feel like that immediate gratification of we've done it we've solved the problem like look at how many kids we've rescued versus these long-term systems um you might not even know how many children you've saved possibly, right? You don't know how many children might have been the perfect victim for trafficking, but because you've implemented all these systems, you're now not seeing a child who likely would have been trafficked actually be trafficked. Uh, so I think there's power in numbers. The The visuals are better. Um, I know this isn't an a fair comparison, but it's the best I can think of as I'm answering this question. It kind of makes me think of our evangelism approaches that used to work, right? You go to this big stadium, you have an altar call, 500 people come down, they say a prayer, and then you can say, great, 500 people have been saved today. Versus um, actually existing in long relationships with people, having conversations about Christ, having conversations about um, their aversion to faith or um, their aversion to walking into church. And you may have a friend who you've just been praying for and talking with for years and years and years, and they finally come to a place of a saving faith in Christ. That was really a long road to get to save one soul, right? Versus a stadium pack full of people who come down and say a prayer. Like, right. like that, that's, we did it. Great. That's sexy. That, it's yeah, your, it's your glamorous. It's, yeah. yeah, you're excited. You've done it. You've done the work. And it feels... I think it feels more actionable, like tangible with our own hands. Like you get to show up and do this thing. It's one certainly time. more measurable too. Yeah. Uh, versus, yeah, I've we've been educating this one community, you know, for fifteen years, and you know, the rates of sex tra- of human trafficked kids has gone down slightly. Like it's just not as instant of results. Um, and it's not even to say the results are better through these like military invasions well it's not an invasion but you go the same right you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think uh we we just like the idea of of something being instant of solutions being instant and that's just not the way humanity works if you're ever going to actually see some kind of a change within any community that's a plaguing problem it often takes people who are willing to walk the road of long obedience in that direction before you ever see some kind of 
uh, substantial success. I think it's even the same with, now I'm probably going off on a tangent, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's the same with um, wanting to end abortion, right? We think, Mm -hmm. great, I can just go, I can show up and I can, um, you know, put no on the ballot. We don't want to have abortion legal. uh, And then I'm done. That's it. My work here is done. But what lies underneath someone choosing to make an abortion? It's oftentimes the people who are living in the same type of circumstances, uneducated, um, poor communities, lack of education, lack of resources. um, All of that kind of wades into why someone's making a decision and just abolishing it isn't the answer. Right. So we like easy answers. I think we like easy solutions and, um, <laughs> we like easy solutions, even if the solutions don't really work. Yeah. Because it, at least it like, makes it like look, did something. Yeah. it makes it look like it worked. If I show up and, and vote against abortion, it makes it feel like I did something. If I, if there's a group of people who go in with, um, a bunch of guns and bullet vests and, you know, free a bunch of kids, like it feels like it worked, even though the likelihood of those kids going back in and being trafficked again is very likely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, part of it is just that the problem is so dire and it's so evil and it's so dark. It's kind of like, we'll worry about poverty some other day. Like we got to get these kids out of there. One and two, we need to make these people suffer. And mm. so there's an element of like, vengeance yeah. as opposed to uh, justice in a lot of situations because uh, justice is is more than just crime and punishment. Justice is looking at the, the whole system. And I think as uh, American evangelicals, as Americans generally, but American evangelicals as well, uh, we tend not to think in terms of systems because we're so uh, democratic, we're so individualistic, we have just this rugged American individualism, we tend not to look at systems or to think of justice in systemic ways where a lot of the things that are required to decrease the rate of human trafficking in a given area is a lot of social justice type things where it is improving infrastructure for education. It's finding ways to decrease poverty. It is rooting out corruption in law enforcement. It's building uh, a community that is kind of whole and has shalom. And then also, uh, rooting out the, the the bad actors that are trying to put together these networks. And so right. that's kind of like in a lot of ways is like the last piece, because if you just go in and you say you save 20 kids, that's amazing. Tomorrow they're going to have 20 more kids that they kidnapped. Right. And, or that they, you know, they have groomed and, and brought yeah. into this situation. And so um, it's, it'll be like this revolving door. If you're just like, you know, whack-a-mole, like trying to like mm-hmm. shut down these operations until you address the system, um, it's not going to get fixed, but because we it, it bothers us so much, we just want to go in and start spraying bullets and get rid of these dudes. And I, so I think that's kind of part of the reason why is that um, to really think in terms of holistic justice, it kind of takes a lot of like sitting back and uh, thinking and and collaborating and uh, understanding the specific situation and in, in specific um, communities and then just like the very complicated work that that follows that right. and when kids are at stake we're the emotions are high and we want to kick in a door and shoot some bad guys mm-hmm. right and the most effective work feels 
like waiting and less like action, I think, oftentimes. Um, and if you have people that just want to go out and do um, these other solutions, like yeah, showing up with the biggest gun you have and taking out all the bad guys, feels like the most effective way. And to see that play out on the screen is emotionally satisfying. Yeah. Because the bad guy's dead. Right. But how do we get it to where kids are less likely to be groomed uh, to even be potential victims of trafficking? Like, how do you make it to where kids um, and even adults, right? Predominantly women are trafficked more than men, right? But um, how do you just make it to where people within communities are less likely to be trafficked? And that means you're pouring a whole lot of resources into that community rather than flying to another part of the world and, as you said, shooting bullets. (laughs) Hey, yeah, I mean, as much as, like, you want that to be the answer. Yeah. um, And that's another interesting... I know we didn't really, like, touch on that, but that's another interesting aspect of it is um, we usually want to see trafficking, um, the people who are leading, you know, the sex trafficking rings as happening in other parts of the world. Uh, Like, we're going to go get... The bad guys that are not in our own country because the problem isn't here in our country. They're just taking our innocent children. That's not actually true. Um, There are sex traffickers here in America that are like have full operations and are even taking kids from other countries. Right. So there are Americans that are leading the charge in these uh, sex trafficking rings but we often want to categorize the enemy as somebody is in some humid jungle in yeah, South America. Yeah. Right. Not in like the first world country of America. Right. Where, I mean, a lot of the problem is happening right here. It is. It's our, it's our An own people. Alarming <laughs> amount. Of it's it our own people here. that are yeah. leading it. And, uh, yeah, grooming and trafficking children here. It's not necessarily like someone you need to get in a plane and go get him on the other side of the world. Like he's right here in your own backyard. Right. You mean even just think of like, uh, what's that guy's name from Subway? Jared? Yeah. Like America's sweetheart for, yeah. you know, all that time that he was a spokesperson. Like he was involved in this yes. here on yes. American soil. Right. Just like a yeah. generic Midwestern white dude. Like yeah. that's, yeah, that's the face of human trafficking. Right. And that's just another layer of it. Yeah. Right. Where you want to, it's nice to see um, in our minds, like the enemy isn't here. Uh, We just need to go and take all of our forces over to another country and deal with the problem over there. But the problem is actually right here. Right. Which again, like that's a whole nother like layer of this issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, what all this is illustrating is that the conversation is as complicated as it is important because sex trafficking uh, and child sex trafficking, uh, they're very real and we should be very concerned uh, about that. Uh, and I think the moral of the story is that we uh, we need to get educated on this. But if we're going to get educated on it, uh, it, we need to be doing more than watching one movie, yes. even if that movie is supposedly based on true events. So um, we'll link to some uh, organizations in the show notes. I just wanted to bring up a couple of them. Uh, One is THORN, 
and they fight trafficking by creating like technical solutions to detect and stop the spread of child pornography. Um, so if you can stamp down kind of the, the digital enforcement of what ends up being the end result of trafficking, which is uh, child pornography, that's what Thorne is involved with. There's also Compassion International, and they help to fight child poverty, which then uh, decreases uh, trafficking, whether it's labor trafficking or sex trafficking for children. And they do that by empowering donors to sponsor uh, a child. Uh, and then there's International Justice Mission, uh, and they fight trafficking by addressing the broken justice systems, uh, by rescuing and restoring victims, just this very long process of restoration, and then working with uh, governments uh, and law enforcement to bring the criminals who are running these things to justice. And so th- that's just three organizations. There are plenty more organizations. Those are just the ones that I had done enough research into to say, like, hey, here's a couple that you can check out. Um and everything that I've read, it, it seems to indicate that the problem is huge and resources are needed. Uh, so uh, I would encourage you to research uh, an organization or more than one organization even uh, and consider making a gift, uh, consider uh, contributing in some way um, because uh, it's it's going to take a lot – of not only awareness but action and there are people who have been involved in that action for years they have the expertise they have the uh, infrastructure Um, really what they need is our support Uh, and so i would encourage you to support that effort any way that you can Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.